compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show. I'm Father Matthew Spencer, sitting in for Patrick on this uh, third hour. My goodness, time flies when you're having fun, and boy, do I enjoy getting to spend this time with you. Uh, 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Most welcome to join the program. Ask your 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 brain teaser question of Father Matthew, see if I can answer it, or just maybe pass it off to Patrick at the end of the day. Uh, we do have plenty of uh, callers waiting, so we'll go right back to our phones here. Um, let's see. Maureen is calling from Chandler, Arizona. Hello, Maureen. Thanks for waiting for so long. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Father. Good morning, and thank you for taking my phone call, and it's such a pleasure to hear your voice. Oh, anyway, you. I just had a comment because I have come across um, a, a, a work site or a podcast about Mormons, and I did live in Utah for seven years and graduated from one of the universities. That was the opportunity that was presented to me for like for so seven years. They tried to convert me, mm. um, but I was always faithful to the church. But one of the things that bothers me about this man that has uh, this podcast called Mormon Stories is that they call themselves to be free of high demand religions. And he tries to, in his general, mostly it's Mormons, but in his general invitation to come, he always talks about the Catholics as well. And it seems to me like um, we need to really pray for them and pray for them because all these people that leave the Mormon church uh, seem to just become even atheists, mm-hmm. not even agnostics. And and they relate some of their experiences in their very controlled way of the membership in the in this church, uh, which uh, really t- they tell you they have free agency or free will. Yeah, that doesn't even seem that is possible because of all the rules that they have. But they little they know that in Catholicism, we truly have free will and we can exercise it. And it's really up to us. The church is not controlling us. It's our relationship with the way we develop, you know, with the Jesus Christ and, and God. And so I just want to pray for these brothers and sisters because I just came across it and it just seems to me like, it's all wrong that he's trying to recruit even Catholics as a high-demand religion. Yeah. Well, so first of all, I think it's, um, you know, there there are a lot of theological problems with Mormonism that we could talk about. But it also, mm-hmm. it's, it, it is important to not... Um, to not generalize. I mean, the, the, what you said there, um, is that, uh, people think that we as Catholics maybe don't have freedom, but we do, right. We see our rules Mm -hmm. as guideposts. Mm -hmm. We see our rules as actual paths Mm -hmm. to freedom. Um, I think we have to apply the same, uh, kind of, uh, how, how would I say it? Um, openness if that's what a mormon is going to claim about their religion you know as outsiders we shouldn't just say oh yeah they're all being controlled and they're all being kept behind this no many of them really appreciate all of the different rules and disciplines that they have and they're helpful for them Uh, i don't think that mormonism is correct but i i do think that um we can't really judge all of them just by by the um by the experience that some have you know and that's that's just like I wouldn't want 
people to judge Catholics by the experience that right. some of our detractors might say, because some people think that we're extremely rule oriented, that we are not based on, you know, having a living, loving relationship with God. And some people see us as just um, trying to enforce the catechism. Well, of course, you and I know that's not true, right? We're called to a deeper relationship with Jesus. The catechism is is the way that describes how we get there, of course. And scripture is the one of the pillars of you know our our faith and our belief. But um, but for somebody could easily kind of distort that ourselves. So I think it's um, it's interesting to me, Maureen. You know, like engaging with other faiths is is important for us. So I'm glad to know that you're you're listening to this. Um, it's also something we have to be a little wary about. I mean, I don't know if you know the story of Isaiah Bennett. He was um he was a, a Catholic priest who years back started collecting mm-hmm. uh material on Mormonism, brochures and booklets and he started getting interested in Mormonism and then he fell into this extreme fascination with Mormonism. He eventually mm-hmm. left the priesthood. He got married in the temple. He, you know, was a practicing Mormon for a long time. And then he eventually realized this is not what I thought it was. And in the process, unfortunately, had lost his ability to serve as a priest because he had essentially, you know, stopped, he had left the Catholic Church. Well, he eventually came back to the Catholic Church. He wrote a book called Inside Mormonism, that describes like his experience and, and describes for Catholics a lot of um, the teachings of, of Mormonism. But he's very careful and cautious to, to also give credit where credit is due to the, 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 to the values that, that Mormons are trying to live uh, while also no. recognizing the problematic theological things. I guess I'm sharing that with you, Maureen, is that um, not everybody is going to be capable of listening to podcasts of reading books on Mormonism because if they don't have a solid foundation in what we believe as Catholics, then they might become mm. convinced that they're that this is true when it's it's clearly not for mm. one who's educated in the faith, right? So Yes. No, I, I appreciate all your comments because I did have some wonderful people. My landlord and my lady were just so beautiful. And I admire them because I think one of the things that attracts us sometimes to Mormonism and that's one door to go into it is that they are very um like uh welcoming and um like you belong you know once you belong mm-hmm. to them they, they give you that sense of belonging which we need to learn too in our churches as we go there and we try to minister to anybody that comes in the church no matter what they look like or where they are at but just to kind of even a smile or say how are you or where are you coming from or something so that's always so important, and as as we, as I kind of learn from them, because that's one of the things that attracts them. So we do that ourselves too, which we do because we have the joy of Christ. I I had a classmate that wanted to convert me, and he watched me. I didn't know all year long in the in college, all yeah. year long. And yeah. when we graduated, he had like as he watched me, he reread the Book of Mormon and he had underlined and highlighted and he gave it to me as a present. Yeah. To read, you know, and to like really take it to heart. I think it's because he thought I converted because he said one of the comments that he made to me was, But you look so happy. <laughs> like he couldn't believe I was Catholic and I looked happy. <laughs> and so yeah. I guess in that way we minister. So maybe that also showed me Show your happiness and your joy in your church and whatever you do, because 
It would have yeah. some people, and I was like, he watched me the whole year. He told me he, throughout the school year <laughs> yeah. he had underlined. Thank you. Thanks, Maureen. We'll have, to, we'll have to leave it there. I have a lot of people waiting here, but I appreciate Thank you for sharing your testimony. Thank I you, think Father, and thank you yeah. for your you know, thoughts about okay. this. Thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for calling. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Bye-bye. Okay. God bless you. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important, I think, and what, what uh, Maureen was sharing there, like we should be ready to engage. And by the way, Maureen, uh, you're right. We as Catholics, we need to be more uh, receptive when people come up to us. I mean, um, Pope Francis has been trying to tell, tell people in the church, right? Church secretaries and pastors and parish priests and uh, trying to tell, <laughs> tell us all, hey, when somebody comes up to you, be nice to them, be welcoming to them, don't push them away, you know, don't immediately jump to, you know, what will what will irritate them, but instead try and love them in the way that Jesus loved us. That's something that we don't always do as well as we need to as Catholics and how important it is to work on that. Uh, okay, we'll go to Mary, who's calling from Virginia. Hello, Mary, welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Hello, Father Spencer. Thank you. You're a real blessing for us all. Oh, thanks. As you are for me. I have a question about salvation, because okay. um, I've been a Christian for many, many years, but uh, recently I was thinking about the payment to Satan for the lives of the believers that Jesus uh, died on the cross to save us. But at Mass, we offer the sacrifice to God the Father. So is salvation more a sacrifice to God the Father, or is it more a payment to Satan to cover our sins, to redeem us? Well, (laughs) Mary, so I'm so glad that you're asking this. You have to know, we have been grappling with salvation for, well, for 2,000 years, right? I'm going to try and summarize in 20 seconds, or maybe two minutes, kind of this this question, um, because it, it, it is rather, rather mysterious. So let, let's talk about, first of all, why we need salvation at all, right? So Adam and Eve were created by God in his image and likeness and made to be in right relationship with him. They were also given freedom, right? So they had the ability to either love God in return or to reject God. And they chose the latter, right? They chose to sin, to push God away, and to try and make a go of life on their own. And of course, we know what happened, right? They, um, they of course, could not do that without God's grace. They were, um, they were pushed out of the Garden of Eden. And what, what arose from their sin was this wound in mankind's relationship with God that is impossible for human beings to fix, right? We, we, there is such an injustice in sin, and we cannot make that right again, you know, on our own. You and I have no ability to make that right again. And that's why we needed Jesus to come and to restore right relationship with God. So the second person of the Most Holy Trinity takes on flesh in the womb of Jesus and combines his divine nature to human nature, and in the person of Jesus then says yes to the Father and offers his life to the Father. And I think that's getting to the question that that you're asking. Jesus did not make any payment to Satan because 
the problem of salvation is not so much an issue with Satan. It's an issue with our connection to the Father. Satan, of course, gets in the way. Satan works to undermine our relationship with the Father. Satan tries his hardest to keep us from trusting in God. But our salvation is not contingent on on paying something to Satan. Our salvation was dependent upon Jesus Christ restoring our relationship with the Father. And that's what the sacrifice on Calvary was. That is what the sacrifice that is represented in every sacrifice, a celebration of the Holy Mass. It's the offering of the body, blood, soul, and divinity, divinity the whole person of Jesus to the Father as, as expiation for, for the sin of Adam and Eve and, and all of the sins that have come since then. Um, so that's kind I, of I the... We, <laughs> go ahead, Mary. The, the question came up because I was reading uh, in some spiritual book that before we're baptized, babies belong to Satan. He owns them. Where, where did where did you oh, see that? It was in a book I was reading. Yeah, I would I would not say that's a that's a Catholic thought. There, um, uh, we don't belong to Satan because um, because we haven't yet been baptized. We we um, still are you know desired by God and in His you know His merciful plans. We are waiting for our redemption and salvation through baptism and through through our yes to God. But it's not like we're we're owned by Satan at that point. Um, so no, I think I mean uh, the the problem with this language, Mary, is it's we're we're trying to use English to describe some very deep spiritual things. So even for example, when we talk about God as Father, well, God did did reveal Himself to us through Jesus as Father. But we're using a, a human term and language to, you know, to try and grasp and understand who God is. So I don't want to speak too definitively on this, but I don't, I don't think that's the, 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 um, the right way to look at children as if they're owned by Satan until they're baptized. No, they do need to be baptized because they're, they're, um, they haven't yet become children of God, which is one of the blessings of baptism. But they are creatures who are suffering from a severance of, of the relationship with God. Okay. Okay. So that doesn't automatically make them possessions of Satan. No, no, I wouldn't say so. Okay. That's what my confusion was. Thank mm. you, Father, so much. Okay. My pleasure, Mary. God bless you. God bless you too. Bye-bye. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, we'll go, do we have time? Yeah, I think we can go to Patrick, who's calling from Trenton, New Jersey. Hello, Patrick. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Yeah, hi, Father. Um, I actually have a kind of a uh, similar question um, about, like, kind of salvation question, where a lot of uh, people kind of fall back, I want to call it fall back, on the good thief um, on the cross, and that, you know, they. why do I have, why do you go through all these, you know, things, church and sacraments and, and but the good thief on the cross, you know, we don't know if he's baptized. We don't know much about him, but he's a saint and the, he didn't do much, but just at the hour of death, you know, turn to God. So mm-hmm. 
Like, what, what what's your response would be to someone that has that argument? Yeah, well, let me just before I give you my my response to it, I'm thinking of a, a situation. I think I believe John Wayne, the actor, was um, was baptized on his deathbed. Um, I don't quote me on that. I just had heard that from from a particular source uh, that I trusted, and he had um, he had, and I don't know personally about the life of John Wayne really, but uh, I do know some of his moral failings before he before he died and before he was uh, presumably baptized. Uh, but the point being is that he was baptized, and there he got to enjoy, quote unquote, enjoy these different depravities in life, and yet still being baptized right on his deathbed, go straight to heaven. Well, how is that fair, right? And is that right? Um, It's just an example maybe of the question that you're asking. And I would say this, Patrick, that living the Christian life is itself a reward. I mean, to, to live a life of sin is not an enjoyment. I mean, yeah, you might for a for a time experience uh, the satisfaction of your pleasures, and you might for a time experience um, some uh, earthly delights, but it is not a fulfilling, satisfying experience. Sin itself, the experience of it, is a form of punishment. I mean, it is not consistent with our human nature, and uh, as tempting as it is. It never satisfies, and it never follows through on the promises that that we think it should give us. So my response to that, Patrick, is that living the Christian life is itself a beautiful reward. And you might think, well, how could that be? I mean, to love my enemies, that sounds so difficult, or to lay down my life for the good of others, that sounds so painful. Um, but we learn through experience and through practice that, in fact, we we find much more meaning. We find much more deep, profound satisfaction in giving of ourselves and living our lives for others that um, that sin cannot compare to that. So, um, yeah, thanks be to God. Those who repent on their deathbed or the good thief on the cross who died will will in fact go you know to heaven through God's mercy. Does that mean that's the way we should live? Just waiting till the last moment so that we can have some earthly delights. I don't think so at all, because I think that would be a very, very um, depressing, depraved way to live that would not be meaningful at all. And we would only just uh, give thanks to God for his great mercy at the last moment, which is not even promised to us. <laughs> and, and we could lose uh, in that in that moment. So that's that's kind of my thought, Patrick. Living the good life is itself a, a form of a reward. Okay. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you, Father. All right. Good to have you on the program. Have a very beautiful Lent, Patrick. We're going to take a quick time out. You're listening to The Patrick Madrid Show. My name's Father Matthew Spencer. Glad to be here with you. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. I'll be back right after this. This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. Compelling insights. 
unpredictable conversations, real life solutions you can believe in. The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Father Matthew Spencer. Happy to be with you. I'm the provincial of a small religious community, the Oblates of St. Joseph, here in the U.S., working hard to try and uh, spread devotion to St. Joseph, to imitate him in our lives, and to imitate the Holy Family in our communities. In fact, I'm living out of Santa Cruz, California. You should come visit sometime. The Shrine of St. Joseph, right on the water. It's, It's a tough place to be. You know, beautiful sunrises, warm, sunny days in California. It's hard, but somebody, somebody's got to do it. So I'll offer it up for all of you. <laughs> you can come visit me. I'm serious. Uh, 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Uh, Jen is calling from North Kingstown, Rhode Island. Hello, Jen. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Hi, good morning, Father. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I have a question about dispensation from fasting, okay. um, because I hear that we're encouraged to use our common sense, but it still seems sort of presumptuous to assume you have dispensation based on medical things. I feel like, should I be asking a priest instead of just making an assumption? Hmm. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to give you some some guidance. Um, so first of all, um, fasting is only required for Catholics on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, right? Um, so the Fridays during Lent, we're called to abstain from meat, of course, but we're talking about those two days of the year, one of which is just past. Um, and what the church says, first of all, is that those who are of age 18 to 59 must fast unless there is um, some exemption from a medical reason. So if you're between the ages of 18 and 59 inclusive, then, um, then we are invited to fast. Um, Jen, what the USCCB, the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops, says about medical exemptions. So they say um, those who are excused from fasting and abstinence uh, usually will include those suffering from chronic illnesses like diabetes. Uh, 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 fibromyalgia, for example, might be another case. Um, pregnant or nursing women are excluded Uh, But then they say something very broad. They say, in all cases, common sense should prevail and ill persons should not further jeopardize their health by fasting. And I think that's very broad, Jen. And I think that we should be very um, uh, comfortable in taking that that advice because fasting is not meant to be uh, a harm is not meant to inflict harm upon the body. The whole point of fasting is meant to to tap into our desire for food, to tap into our hunger, and to re- use that desire to direct us to God. And if if it's causing physical harm to us, it's that's not the point. We endure it because it's um, it's not lasting harm to us. But for some people it can become very problematic. And uh, one example, Jen, that wasn't listed in that this paragraph that I, that I share with you, but are those who have suffered from uh, eating disorders or maybe are currently suffering from eating disorders, right? Somebody who is anorexic should not fast, right? Because first of all, it's not accomplishing the same thing. Their intent is not going to be, or their experience of it is not going to be one of, of desiring food and, a, and um, looking for you tapping into that hunger but also because there is some healing that needs to come in their relationship to food. So 
That's kind of well, my, you hit the my take on the head on it. with that example. So I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah. I mean that, and that's a pretty common one, unfortunately, you know, like a lot of people uh, have had a history of that in the past and, and that largely exempts them from fasting in the way that the church often describes. Now, that's why we can be creative. It's not, it's not the first thing I'd go to, Jen, to say, well, I'll fast for, from something else besides food. No, I think food is a very traditional and very effective way for us to fast. But not everybody can fast from food. And when that's the case, there are other things that we fast from, right? Um, a common one in these days is media, uh, entertainment, um, different ways that we escape, you know, the problems in our life or different ways that mm-hmm. we, we try to, um, you know, solve the, the stresses and anxieties of life. Uh, sometimes just giving those little things up will remind us throughout the day of God's love for us. So, okay. That is wonderful. I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you specifically knew what I was getting at um, mm. with my question. Um, it just felt wrong to, to make the assumption that I was, you know, that I had this sensation. It was like, well, from whom, you know, yeah, so I yeah. feel comfortable knowing that it doesn't have to necessarily come from a priest or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, um, I'm happy to give you like my input and perspective, but it is important to recognize Jen, that the church actually puts this, this discernment on you. It puts this discernment mm-hmm. Uh, in your lap. And that's a good thing, right? Um, it's it's difficult if we're scrupulous because then we're going to say, oh, no, I, I can't let myself off the hook so easily. But this is what being a, a mature adult person ultimately is um, helps us to do is to, to try and see things rightly. And, and honestly, Jen, to be gentle with yourself, right? I mean, I think uh, sometimes we're very easy on ourselves and sometimes we let ourselves off the hook. But I find that people that are trying to live the Catholic faith well are often just as just as likely to err on the side of being too strict or too harsh with themselves. Um, and that's not necessarily as productive as they think it is, right? They're not necessarily somehow earning God's love by being more penitential in their life, you know? They do better to um, have a more joyful attitude and to laugh at themselves that they're not able to fast in the way that they, they think they should. So, okay. Thanks that a lot, Jen. I appreciate so it. so comforting. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Father. Okay. You bet. God bless. Take care. Um, And we also have another Jen calling from California. Hello, Jen. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Hi, I'm the other Jen. (laughs) Anyway, um, I would like to know, I'm I'm a returning believer. I'd like to know why it's a mortal sin to miss Mass on Sunday unless you're sick or something. Mm. Yeah, good question. So, um, why would there be a particular requirement that we as Catholics have to attend a service on Sundays? So this is this goes way back. It's deeply rooted in our, our life. In fact, even the discipline of observing a special day dedicated to the Lord predates uh, the coming of Jesus. We know from our Jewish elder brothers and sisters in the faith, the importance of mm-hmm. the Sabbath, right? And the day of, of mm-hmm. rest that the Lord commands his people to to take seriously. And um, this is the first reason why Sunday Mass for Catholics became right from the very beginning a very important discipline for us because we knew it was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So it was recently I heard somebody say that um, we don't, uh, um, we don't, uh, how did they say this? We don't uh, celebrate the resurrection on the first day of the week. 
we celebrate the resurrection on the eighth day of the week, right? Uh, because Jesus lived the, his life, of course, in, in uh, some fulfillment of the creation of, of the Father, um, of, the, of all of creation, I should say. And he celebrated the Sabbath, in, of course, during his life. But then he rose on uh, the day after the Sabbath, on the eighth day. And begins this new life of creation for us. So, in, in other words, the first day, first reason that we go, that we're obliged as Catholics to go to Mass on Sunday, is that it is a commandment that originates in the observance of the Sabbath, which is then transferred for us as Catholics to the eighth day of the week, to the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and becomes this central, this central encounter that we have with God. Now, why is it? As you rightly point out, Jen, why is it a grave sin if we if we don't follow through with that discipline? There are a few reasons for this. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, it's because we're obliged by the church to do this. The church has told us this is a necessity. Uh, but why did the church tell us this is a necessity? First, in my experience, Jen, the first uh, thing to go in our foundation—I'm sorry—if we stop going to mass then that will undermine the whole of our relationship with God, period. Mm. And that's a, very, that's a very strong statement for me to make, but I have seen this from experience over and over and over again. When somebody stops going to Mass, for a while, they can be okay. You know, for a while, or at least <laughs> externally, right, they might seem to be okay. For a while, they can keep their relationship up with God. For a while, they can continue to read scripture and continue to connect with other people. But eventually, uh, inevitably, the, the discipline will, um, will slip away. They won't observe the Sabbath as faithfully as they should, and that will begin to undermine all of the rest of their spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. And on the, on the other hand, when Sunday participation at Sunday Mass is a non-negotiable for us, what I see is that people learn uh, greater discipline in the spiritual life in all of their different areas because now they're going to Mass even when they don't feel like it. Now they're going to Mass even if they're having to plan a Super Bowl party for later in the day, right? Now they're going to Mass even if they're tired from, you know, the company Christmas party the day before. I mean, they're, we're going to Mass because we know how important it is for us. Um, and and here's the other other reason, Jen, that I think it's become so important for us as Catholics, is we're not doing it alone. We're doing this with other believers, and we're coming together as the body of Christ in order to receive the Eucharist, right? And the Eucharist, as the Church tells us, is the source and summit of our faith. It's Jesus Christ Himself, and that's why fundamentally we we must be going to Mass on Sunday to have an encounter with Jesus in the sacred species, in the word that is present there, in the assembly, in the proclamation of, of, of the priest at, at his homily. So all those beautiful ways that we encounter Jesus become so essential in the Christian life. And so if we start to slip in that area, it just causes grave uh, effects to mm-hmm. the whole of our spiritual life. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, thank you for that. I, that's, I took notes. Uh, is it a mortal sin if we work our secular job on Sunday? Let's say if we went to church early and then had to go to work in the afternoon or 
Uh, it's not necessarily a sin, no. Um, no, the church does not take a, a stance on this to, um, that is a pharisaical approach that you can't do, you can't lift a finger on the Sabbath, for example, like you can't do anything. The, the idea of the church is, a, um, is to make Sunday a day of rest to the extent that it's, um, that it's possible for us. For example, parents are often very busy on Sundays just taking care of kids, right? Kids are running around. You're having to still prepare yeah. meals for them. You're still having to make sure their diapers are changed. You're, I mean, you're still having to do a lot of work yeah, this day. Absolutely. But there are other things that you could wait to do another day. You could do your laundry the next day. You could run, uh, do your chores the day before so that the house is all clean in order to enjoy that, that Sunday together as a family. And that is why the church really does stress the importance of rest on the Sabbath on, on Sunday for us, because it helps us to prioritize the whole, the whole experience of our encounter with God. So, um, and some people, frankly, Jen, have to work on Sunday, right? I mean, as a society, we need, yeah, we need people to be working at hospitals and we need people mm-hmm. to be on staff at, as first responders and police officers. And, mm-hmm. and there are some jobs that, frankly, I don't get Sundays off, Jen, right? Because it's a yeah. busy day for Catholic priests. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do, have to, we do have to make sure that unnecessary work is not crowding God out of that those days mm-hmm. in our life. So make right. sure that we're prioritizing. Lot, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate your okay. help. I'm always enjoy it when you're on. Thank you, sir. Okay. Oh, thanks, Jen. I appreciate it. It's always a it's always a pleasure for me to be on myself. So God bless you and I hope you have a, a very nice Lent. Okay, short time out here. We have one one segment left. Can't believe it. Almost over. But if you'd like to join the conversation, we do have a few lines available. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Father Matthew here sitting in for Patrick Madrid. I'll be right back. This hour is sponsored by Christendom College's free principles classes. Sign up for a free online class on Holy Scripture today at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Learn to read the Bible with the mind of the church at NewTestamentFoundations.com. Keeping it relevant. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. It's Father Matthew Spencer sitting in for Patrick Madrid. So glad to be with, with you here uh, just, for, just for today, for now. Uh, we'll go right back to the phones. Our Catholic Order of Foresters studio line here is 888-914-9149. Uh, Renee is calling from... California. Renee, you've been waiting patiently for so long. Thank you for staying on the line. What's on your mind? Oh, I would wait for you forever. Uh, oh, I would like just to warm know my heart, Renee. Benefit- <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Go what, ahead. What is the benefit for having masses said for the deceased person? My brother-in-law, Tom, died last week, and he had such a horrendous, painful death. He was such a good man at 82 years old, and he left a, a, a big family. But because it was 
so hard on everybody to watch him die that way. I, I, I have three masses said for them, but then I, my own uh, adult daughter said, Mom, what's the benefit of doing this? Where does that, what happens when you have a mass dead? And, and my question is, is it, is it just for the deceased person or is there any benefit for the person having the mass said for them? Oh, these are these are great questions, Renee, and I'm I'm so glad that you asked. So, so first of all, I'm very sorry that you're. Did did you say it was your brother? My brother-in-law. Oh, your brother-in-law. My sister. Yeah, yeah. my sister. Okay. My sister well, I'm very him. sorry for his, um, you know, difficult death. Um, we prayed to Saint Joseph, who is patron of a a happy death, a peaceful death. Yeah. But but uh-huh. the reality is is that not everybody has that grace, and it doesn't necessarily reflect on the person's life. I mean, just look at the martyrs. Look at Jesus himself. He experienced this agonizing, terrible, uh, tragic death. It doesn't mean, of course, that he um, lived a bad life. On the contrary, you know, his death is is salvific for us. But, But it is true that it can be difficult and painful and tragic to watch our loved ones suffer so at the end of their life. Let's um but to talk about why we have masses said for a person's soul, Renee, I think it's important for us to to help um kind of revisit our Catholic theology. So we were talking about salvation a few few minutes ago with another caller. We believe that Jesus came to earth, he opened up the gates of heaven to us and gives us the possibility of spending eternal life, our our eternity with um with God in heaven. But it's not forced uh-huh. upon us, of course. We still have the choice, the option, and the way that we decide that is by the way we live our life here on earth. So, of course, we strive to have faith, but we also strive to put that faith into practice by showing our love for others. And unfortunately, sometimes we sin along the way. So when we do good, of course, we're, we're affirming our, really, our, our desire to go to heaven. When we sin, we are um, wounding that desire and, and inclination to go towards heaven. And God can forgive us of our sins. And he wants to forgive us of our sins when we're contrite and repentant and sorry for them. Uh, but our sins have a bigger effect than just the immediate, uh, say, um, relationship with God. He can heal instantly that relationship uh, with him, that woundedness that our sin causes. But our sins also cause what we call, Renee, temporal effects. They, they, they have an effect on other people and they have an effect on our lives. And those need to be amended. Those need to be healed before we go to heaven. So one could be forgiven at the very last moment of their life, but if we've sinned throughout our life, then there is much healing that still needs to happen before we can walk through, walk into, through the gates of heaven. And this is what we call purgatory. So purgatory is a place where those who are destined for heaven will go as a process of purification to prepare us and completely purify us, that is to purge us from all of the effects of our sins in the past in order to be with God in heaven. And all of this is necessary to talk about, Renee, because when we have a mass said for one who has died, we are praying for them in purgatory that they might be purged of all of their sins and be prepared that much more quickly to to be with Jesus forever in heaven. 
So when you have a, a mass or masses said for your brother-in-law, this is the best prayer you can do to have him uh, quickly get through this this pur- uh, purgative process. Um, and it's it's I'm very happy that I'm very glad that you're doing it, that you're offering these prayers, these masses for him. I hope that when I die, many people will have masses said for me. Um, I I hope that uh, my time in purgatory will be limited, but I don't want to presume that. I'd rather have people praying for me constantly, and and Mass is the best form of prayer. Um, Also, I would say, Renee, that those Masses are also very consoling for those of us who remain here on earth. When we go to Mass, when we hear our loved one's uh, name mentioned at the altar, or even when, if their name isn't mentioned, if we just know that the intention the priest has on his heart is for the repose of the soul of this individual. It's very helpful and very consoling for us. So um, I think there are many benefits, in fact, to having Masses said for those who have gone before us, especially for them, but also for our own consolation. Okay? Okay. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, it's a long theological answer, and and I know that might be a lot for your your daughter to... I jotted things down, and I'll go back and listen on... Try Excellent. to uh, give a decent answer to my child. <laughs> yeah, you could even you could even just listen to this clip with her, right? And and uh, see what she thinks. So okay, yeah. thank, well, thank, thank you, you, Renee. God bless you. Okay, have a very nice Lent uh, uh, and the beautiful forty days here. Um, let's go to Teresa, who's calling from Northern Virginia. Hello, Teresa. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. Hi, thank you, Father. I have a question. I have been friends with someone for, gosh, at least 30 years now. We go way back um, as the years have gone on. She's never married. I have. So we, you know, it's intermittent now that we get together. Well, I have uh, about less than a year ago, she started getting involved with a man who has been married twice. And uh, I have since learned that it appear, I believe she's moved in with this this man, and I'm I feel compelled to have lunch with her to talk with her. I want to know what you think is the best way to go about broaching this very sensitive topic. Um, she was raised um, Baptist, but I don't think they really practice much. She calls herself a Christian, and uh, so I, I'm. I need to know what some good, good, how can I broach this topic with her? And it just really has me deeply concerned for her eternal soul, as well as this guy. So my my approach was, situ- th- first of all, thank you for being concerned about her soul, and thank you for being concerned about her state in life right now. And And you're right to be um, concerned, not anxious about it, right? Because we shouldn't be right. anxious about anything. We should trust in the Lord, but we should also be interested and concerned about how others are living their life for the good of their own souls, right? Because we want them to be mm-hmm. happy. Um, right. my, in my experience, um, people are much more willing to talk about these challenging topics when they know that it's coming from a place of love and not just a place of, of our Christian framework of beliefs, you know? So mm-hmm. by the way, that's not a bad thing. You know, our Christian framework of beliefs is, is a very important reference point for us to, by which we live our lives, but not everybody holds to that. And so they think that, oh, well, you're just 
too traditional. You don't realize the world has changed. It's the, everybody lives this way, so why shouldn't I live this way? Um, I think yeah. instead what we do is we try and um, help them know that we, we care about them and we want them to actually find happiness. We want them to actually find joy in life. And then we walk through, I think, Teresa, like why they're making the choices they're making. And it's very interesting when you talk to people who who live together before they're married. They, their, their reasoning is sometimes not what we expect. You know, I remember speaking with a couple who wanted to get married in the church. They had been living together. And I was speaking to the groom first and then or to the, you know, the gentleman, a fiance first and then to the young lady second. And the man was saying, oh, we're just doing this because it's practical. We're doing this to save money. You know, everybody does this. And he just had a rather secular kind of perspective. And then I asked, I asked the young lady, well, what, what is your opinion on this? And she said, I think, I think my fiance will leave me if I don't do this. <laughs> and I don't mm. want to lose him. And it, it mm-hmm. changes the, the purpose or the, the approach in the conversation because mm-hmm. she's, she's desperate. She's not making a good decision, but she's doing it for a reason that is, um, that she knows it's wrong even, and she knows that it's not, you know, going to help her, but she's trying desperately to maintain a relationship. And that is a whole different conversation, right? That's a whole different step of, of asking or putting advice there. So my, my, my approach, Teresa, is to enter into conversation, make this friend, help this friend to know that you, you love them, you care about them and you do want the best for them. And you're aware that they think this will lead to happiness. And then you share from your personal perspective why why this could not why why this might be problematic for them why it might be difficult for you uh, for for her and why why really they they uh, should be considering a different way of life and when they know it's coming from a place of love at least they'll take the advice more more to heart. And do you think I mean he has two two ki- two or three kids and I just feel like is it worth sharing saying something to the effect of what what example is this showing to his own his own kids like this is i i don't you know i don't know scandalous but what this is wrong i mean it's yeah i mean i know why she's doing it she's 60 years old and she doesn't have anyone she always wanted someone and you know but it doesn't change the fact that she's harming her eternal soul yeah. And could I point out what is very clearly stated from Jesus in the Bible about what this, you know, fornicating lifestyle? Is it worth you could? No, it's it's definitely what, so, Teresa. It's right. it's definitely it's the truth, right? And the truth sometimes will cut through all of the resistances there. Um, if we can do that in a way that also includes love. Then um, I think that will be, yeah, it it will be very effective. But you have to discern, you know, will that, will sharing it in that way, will it be received as a loving uh, intervention in her life or will she just experience it as judgment uh, and it won't lead to change? And I think that's something you as a friend can um, can try and figure out. Okay, have to leave it there. I'm just coming up to the edge of the program. I'm going to try and take one more call. God bless you, Teresa. Uh, let's go to Fran, who's calling from Minnesota. Hello, Fran. Welcome to the Patrick Madrid Show. I just have about 60 seconds. So if you can put your question in that time, I'll do my best. We'll do it. Um, maybe this is more of a vent. 
it's bothering me that I hear people changing the words of the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, etc. And it just doesn't resonate right. It feels like it's being dumbed down. Um, so what's next? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Any comments? Well, my my comment is basically, I don't disagree with, with you. I prefer the, the higher language, the these and the thous and the dies. Um, I did go through a phase in my life, Fram, where I was praying the Hail Mary with yous. But it wasn't because I was intentionally trying to be disrespectful. It was because I had been in a, a peer group of mine where people had been saying it this way, and I just kind of started this habit of doing it. And it wasn't the best habit, but it just kind of emerged. So on the one hand, it's great to invite people to more lofty, pious language. On the other hand, I think we'd be patient when people, because they might not be doing it for the reasons we suspect. So we'll leave it there. Thanks, Fran. I appreciate it. And I'll have to leave it there for all of us, I guess. It's been a pleasure being with you. Until next time, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.